Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP practitioner course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Bronin, and I am here every single week, as you well know. If you're new to the show, welcome. Check it out. Every single week, I'm going to bring an awesome story from a driven entrepreneur, but really it's so much more than that. They're driven visionaries, driven innovators, driven trailblazers, just like you. You either are that person or you want to be that person. That's why you and I are so captivated by these stories. And um, I've been bringing, as you know, over the last several months, um, spotting some athletic stories, some athletic visionaries. Uh, And today we have a very, very cool story from a two-time Paralympian alpine skier named Tyler Tyler Carter, or TC. We'll see how he goes. Uh, We're going to talk all things, what it takes, again, mindset-wise, physicality-wise, to get yourself to the Olympics or Paralympics, and not just do it once, but to do it twice. There's something that drives someone deep inside to compete at the highest level possible. And well, we're going to get into that and so much more this week with my guest. Tyler, are you there, my friend? Hey, Matt. It's great to be here. Hello, everyone. Well, hello, hello. Good to have you. So you are uh, you are resting up this this year right now as we speak. You said you're in the East Coast, Pennsylvania, was it? Yeah, I'm in Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up, where my family still lives. I live full time in Colorado now, Colorado Springs. But uh, you know, with uh, how things happened this year, it just ended up going back home for a little bit. Was a good idea. No, that's, that's, that's nice. Cause earlier in the year, uh, of course, everyone's going to be familiar with the sheltering in place. So you get to choose where you're going to shelter in place and you, and you headed out from there because they closed down earlier in the year, the Olympic training center. Um, and man, that's, that's a big thing. So had you, you hadn't been living there full time. Were, were you a resident there or did you just live in Colorado Springs and, and, uh, drive the, whatever down the street to, to train? Yeah, I was a resident once upon a time at the training center, lived on site. And then that was a couple of years ago. And then uh, this past summer, I was living off site. And then once winter came around, I commuted from Colorado Springs up to the mountains where I trained to ski, of course. And then um, now I'm you know back in Colorado Springs, living in the area, loving it. I love Colorado. Um, and it's just really a great place to be. And of course, the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center is just the most amazing place on earth. Uh, we have the best staff, the best resources. It, it really is. If you're an athlete, that's where you want to be. The best food too. I heard that the food was really good. I, I tried a little bit when I was visiting over there. Oh yeah. Food is amazing. Um, each day, you know, you kind of have something special or something going on. Most people like the pad Thai Tuesdays. Me personally, a uh, hot fudge Friday is my day. Uh, that's when I get the ice cream and the hot fudge. I'm 
I got a bit of a sweet tooth, at least when it comes to ice cream. So, you know, that, that's, that's where I, I end up. Why didn't I go on Friday? Anyways. <laughs> so I want to get into a little, a little bit of your, your story. Um, and, and you have a unique story. You know, it's interesting that I, I've, I've known now uh, a few different Paralympians and extraordinary people, not just for, you know, competing at a high level, but also everyone has their own obstacle to overcome and in a huge way. But many of them have been through some sort of accident or unexpected event. But your story is a little different. You know, I know you lost your right leg below the knee uh, at one year old because of a congenital condition. Can you share a little bit about that? I, I love, well, I don't love that, but I do love being able to bring light to sometimes conditions that we're not familiar with. Um, so people know that. What, what had happened, I guess, tell me about the condition because uh, I can't even pronounce it. And what was your... Well, let, let's just talk about that first and we'll go next. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I was born with a condition called fibular hemimelia, which basically means I was born without my fibula. Now, for those of us that aren't as medically inclined or knowledgeable, uh, which honestly I, I would be if I wasn't with this condition, uh, fibula is your small bone in your lower leg, uh, connects from your foot uh, to knee. Uh, tibia is kind of the main one. Fibia connects or fibula connects behind that. So um, it's not the most important bone, but without it, you can't walk. So um, when I was one, basically, my parents had the really difficult choice of uh, having a rod inserted into my leg. So I didn't have an amputation, but then I've had multiple surgeries throughout the rest of my life to keep extending that and changing that or to have my foot amputated. And I have to say, uh, I've, there's no regrets on my end. I'm, I'm really happy they chose that direction, chose with the amputation. Um, it, you know, it had a little bit of adjustment growing up, some small challenges and obstacles, but honestly, it's been a blessing and has allowed me to follow my dreams and do some pretty cool things. And at the same time, to, to that point, because when you first said, I'm like, oh, yeah, a rod, I, I didn't think of that. That makes sense. But then, yeah, you're having, you'd have surgery after surgery. So much of your childhood would really just be in the hospital all the time. And so as, as it went, growing up as, as a kid, um, did you feel fairly normal? Did you have moments when you felt abnormal? Like, what was that like as you started relating to other kids? And I'm more talking, I guess, maybe the emotional, the mental side. Um, and this is really important, really, for anyone who ever feels like they're not fitting in for some reason. Did you know that it was different, quote unquote? Or did you feel like, hey, I'm just another kid and no one ever paid any difference? What was that experience like for you? Well, for most of my childhood, I... I didn't know there was anything different. Actually, when I started interacting with, you know, kids my age and started going to school and, and whatnot, I was like, why are, why is everyone weird and has two legs? Like, just for, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I, I wasn't the odd one out. It was everyone else. <laughs> what are you guys doing with two of these? Um, you got one nose, you got one leg, one mouth. That's the deal, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so for me, you know, that was like a shock. I was like, oh, okay. So I'm the different one, whatever, no big deal. But, uh, you know, I, I credit my parents quite a bit because, well, you know, first off, everyone, you know, everyone, you know, your parents are a big part of your life. They play a role, you know, you, you, you got to love them. But they really did a great job of, uh, you know, raising me, of, you know, kind of putting me in a good position that I can kind of just hit the ground running. Uh, you know, they supported me when I need it, but also they didn't just baby me the whole time, like, you know, kind of shelter me. They were like, you know, yeah, you're missing your leg, but you can do things on your own as well. And, that, that I think was a huge building block that I would, you know, force some independence. But in terms of like interacting with, you know, kids, like middle school was kind of a tough time uh, for me 
uh, I had a really good group of friends, but I felt like, you know, in, in general, I, I didn't quite fit in with any real group. I was just kind of in between. But, uh, you know, my attitude in life has always been, you know, you take what, what, do what you can with what you got and you just keep moving. You know, we can't control the hand we're dealt, but we can control what we do with that. So that's kind of how I moved on. And, um, you know, for the most part, you know, few, for a few little obstacles, it, it really just, you know, it was a normal life just, you know, happened to be missing half of my leg. Not a big deal for most, I suppose. Did you ever in school, did you have any um, like bullying that you faced or any ridicule or something that made you stick out? Or did you really, hey, I got a good group of friends. I can't do everything exactly as everyone else. But generally, did you have more of a kind experience or did you have some of that that you had to overcome socially at all? Overall, I'd say it was very kind, very accepting. There, There is you know, as most people, not everyone, but most people deal with some bullying, some point in their life. And I was no exception. Uh, some of it, you know, was probably because of my leg. I'm not, you know, that not sure I was different. So, you know, some people just single you out because you are different, but, uh, I was lucky to have this really good core group of friends and kind of, you know, latched onto them and, uh, you know, use them as a good support system, but also, I, I was very outgoing in a way that, you know, I wasn't shy about my leg. I didn't hide it. So like one of the first days of class in middle school, I took my, my leg off, put it in the desk in front of me and waited until the teacher turned around and then just saw my leg sitting there. So uh, for me, it, you know, I was never, never shy about it. Uh, you know, one other quick story is that we were playing kickball in a gym class and I went to kick the ball and I did kick the ball, but I also ended up had my leg fall off and fly across the gym. And everyone's like not doing anything. And I'm hopping as fast as I can to that first base. (laughs) (laughs) And people, uh, I don't know what to do. Do I go get it for him? (laughs) Or is that too enabling? Like, do you should, he has to do it himself. (laughs) Yeah. No one knew what to do. So the coach blew his whistle who the coach ended up like being a really good friend to me, uh, kind of through my school time. Uh, but blew the whistle. I was like, someone go get Tyler's leg for him, please. (laughs) Like, like it was just halfway across the field and I'm just like, you know, I'm not leaving the space. You're going to tag me out. So <laughs> I, I love that, 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 uh, that approach to just even how you say that. So, um, for me, like when, how old was I, I guess I was 17. My brother who was 20 got in a car accident, had a traumatic brain injury and he was in a wheelchair mostly after a stroke. And I remember sometimes the hardest parts of this would be kind of that social interaction of people are like, I don't know what to do. Like say you're at a restaurant, right? And he's in the wheelchair going across and people, they want to be kind and go all move the chair and get out of the way. But do they like stand up and move all the chairs? I don't want to make a scene, but I also want to be helpful. Do I pretend like it's not even different? And so I think sometimes socially, like we don't know how to deal with whatever that the lower percentage uh, of experiences, you know, it's not every day I meet someone that's missing a limb, although I certainly have plenty of times, but it's not every day. So I think what's your, I don't know if that makes any sense at all to you. If you are just, I don't know, social interaction, do you prefer that people just ignore and just kind of, Hey, everything's normal. Do you prefer if people go, Oh, Hey, what happened? And you know, and they talk about it, but it's normal or I don't know. I guess you probably wouldn't prefer if everyone makes a big deal, but does that make sense at all? I don't know if I'm forming that question right, but how do you enjoy social interaction um, around the uh, having a disability or a super ability, whatever you want to call it? 
Yeah, no, no, I'm exactly where you're going with that. Um, for me, again, I'm, I'm been very outgoing or, or not shy on it. So I'd much rather someone come up, ask me about it. You know, I love answering questions, talking about it. That's kind of my personality, even on days when I'm tired or don't have the energy for it. It's still, I'd much prefer that versus stopping, staring, you know, kind of just like not really being engaging. Um, but I can't say the same for everyone. So I, I think the biggest thing is just respecting their space, but really treating us like anyone else. I mean, we are just another person, another human on this earth. You know, we just happen to have uh, a little, you know, physical or, or you know, um, other uh, issue going on. And but that doesn't make us any different. So, um, you know, it's for, for us, we're just like another person. And, and I prefer, you know, anyone to treat me that that way. I, I, I love that. I love that approach, too, because I think. There's even times, you know, there's people who have something physically, it's obvious, hey, something's up or something's different. But there's a lot of differences that aren't so obvious. You know, if somebody walking around with uh, an illness inside that you can't see on the outside, but drastically affects their life, or fighting depression or anxiety or something, you know, I, I think that approach is just so healthy, really, as a society, it's so useful to say, hey, everyone has their differences. So let's just talk about it. Let's just be normal. And let's, if you have a question, ask a question, but bringing people in and that way, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, or anything else, there's nothing we have to hide. There's nothing for people to feel weird about there. And there's no reason to in the first place, as long as we just normalize the fact that everyone is different for a variety of different reasons. Uh, so thank you for bringing that up. You, of course, part of you having that difference is it enabled you to follow some passions. As a kid, I know you're growing up being super active. Um, did you get right away active into a, like a physically adaptive sports or did you jump into, you know, you're swimming, your tennis with a prosthetic? Did you play on the regular teams did, with your friends? What was the childhood athletic uh, scene like? For? I know you did karate, dance, you did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I, I'd say like starting out, I was just joining, you know, any club or group that that was out there. They were not strictly or specifically for adaptive athletes. Um, and then as I started, you know, getting a little bit older, you know, like, um, you know, almost teens, maybe a little before that, then I started finding different adaptive programs and was able to work with them, partner with them to do it. But like karate, I started, I, I don't even remember when I started that. I was, I was like five or six maybe. Uh, and when I started that, that was just with a regular program. Uh, so that was nothing special with that. Actually, one of the funny stories with that specific uh, activity was I we were doing a test one day and I went to kick uh, my instructor and he was like, kick me, come on, kick me as hard as you can. So I was like, all right, kick him with my prosthesis or prosthetic leg and right in the shin. And he went down like a sack of bricks. I mean, it was it was pretty funny on my end. And he was like, yeah, good kick as he's like, you know, in pain on the ground. But uh, for me, yeah, I was just trying to be active, trying to partner with as many, you know, groups as I can, whether they're, you know, strictly adaptive or, uh, you know, just open for everyone. Love that. And then you, you of course, got into skiing in a big way. Um, you fell in love with skiing. You start going after it. Uh, how old are you when you get into skiing? Um, and you start off obviously doing the adaptive skiing. How old are you when you get into it? And what was it about skiing over anything else that did you know, like, this is it, this is for me, this is what I'm going to spend my time doing? Or at that point, was it just another sport that you enjoyed? Uh, first off, it was another sport, but it was very different than every other sport where I found a sense of freedom, uh, just 
really an environment that I'd never been in before. I mean, pointing your skis down the hill, being outside with the cold in your face, that freedom of being able to go wherever you want. And then I ski with my my prosthesis. I have a different one for skiing, but I, I ski with that. So I'm on two legs. You can't tell I'm missing my leg. And that was, there was kind of a, a fun to that for me going out and, you know, being able to just do whatever I want. And the leg really wasn't that much of a factor. Uh, so I, I fell in love with it immediately, but it was just another hobby, another activity to do. And then a few years after going to this learn to ski camp for kids with physical disabilities out here in Pennsylvania, I uh, got recruited to a race team out in Colorado. And that's kind of how everything started. And it all snowballed into getting on this, you know, trajectory of making it to the Paralympics and on Team USA, which, you know, looking back, it's, it's still crazy that all that happened. It, it, it really is. I mean, because I know you got uh, awarded a scholarship, right? So you went to attend uh, and spectate as, as an attendee, as a spectator, the 2010 Vancouver Paralympic Games. Um, when you go and, and you're watching this, how long did it take you to go, I'm going to do that? That's going to be me in four years? Or again, did it, did the dream form later on? What was that like watching the games? Did you instantly get sucked in? How, how does that feel? Opening ceremony night. That That's where it all like all blew up kind of in my mind and going there, seeing the ceremony, seeing all the athletes across all the different countries in the environment of, you know, that walking into the stadium, it was, it was unbelievable eye-opening experience. And it is what put, put me fully on this track. Everything else had been leading up to it, but that is what set everything in motion from that night on. I knew that I wanted this to happen. This was my, my dream, my goal, my passion. And I was going to do whatever I could, whatever was in my power to make make this dream come true. And, you know, four years later, by some miracle, I still have to pinch myself that it happened. I, I made the team, made it to the games myself as an athlete. And uh, it, it's still an unbelievable experience in my mind. And that I'm still going is, is kind of crazy as well. But it, you know, it all started from that night opening ceremonies. That's amazing. The openings. Do you remember the moment in time? Was it like they light a torch or someone said something? Was it a speech? Was there a moment when you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in? Or was it just the the amazingness of the entire night? You're like, you just, you loved it. And you went to bed thinking I'm in. I mean, I think it was the amazingness of the entire night. Um, it's hard. I mean, I remember that night fairly well, considering it was 10 years ago. <laughs> so that, that, you know, I, it still remember, you know, burns in my mind, but, um, I think it was because you're 16 at that point, right? Yeah. 16. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So still, you know, fairly young and, and, you know, trying to figure things out in school. And, um, I went back to the hotel after that night and was thinking about it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. But I mean, I think seeing the torch lit, the cauldron, and then seeing Team USA enter the stadium, those probably were the two biggest points of that night uh, for me. Just something special. I love that. And then you go on, of course, so you're, you're 20 at this point or, or around then, uh, 2014, to go compete in Russia and the Paralympic Games. Um, when you get to the Games themselves, how can we talk a little bit? Because I think this, this, again, goes to all people in any competition whether it's business or even in art or sports or anything, there's a difference between training and competing. Could you speak a little bit to that mindset shift or how you approach the difference between training and competing? How do you keep your mindset on? I've seen a lot of people do really great in training and then all of a sudden the bright lights are on and you go, oh my gosh, it feels different inside. What was that like for you? Was it the same, different? And what's your approach 
to showing up at competition day um, ready to go? Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of a mentality that most of the coaches I've worked with uh, throughout my career have kind of pushed and then our uh, sports psychology uh, staff as well really pushes is to train like you compete and compete like you train. So whatever routines you have, whatever you do, your warmups, you know, your kind of mental um, energy attitude, you want to do the same for when you're training and in competition. And that is to hopefully make them, you know, more, you know, in sync. So when you're going to a big competition that, you know, all the spotlights on you, you can rely on that training and say, this is just, you know, like our training. We've done this, you know, a thousand times. We're just doing it a thousand and one more times. Uh, But I will say... I was very unprepared for Sochi. Like I had the most amazing experience experience there. It was a blast for me. I had, uh, you know, it really filled my soul and, and kept me wanting to continue this journey. But I, I really didn't know what I needed to do or what it took until I got there. And I was like, wow, there, there's a lot of work to do. And I, I'm not gonna like I went out and I gave it my best effort, but it definitely was like an eye opening experience of the bar is set, you know, way high, and I. I still have some work to do. And uh, when you came out of Sochi, Russia, your first Paralympic uh, trainings or the first Paralympic Games, how did you feel you did? And I don't mean like ranking, but did you feel like, yeah, I did the best I could have done with where I was? Did you feel like, man, I could have pushed in more? What, what was the kind of debrief internally for yourself after competing in your first games? Yeah. Uh, hundred percent. I knew with where I was at the resources I had available and, you know, the training I'd put in beforehand, I did the absolute best I could. Uh, you know, it's still in my mind, you know, an, an athlete, we always want more. We always want to do better. You know, even we finish, you know, top 30, we want to finish top 20, you know, you finish top 15, you want to win a medal, you know, that we all want to win a medal, but realistically, you know, you have to have these smaller short goals because going from being, you know, 30th to first, there's not many athletes that can do that just, you know, uh, you know, with their, you know, putting their mind to it and be like, all right, I'm going to do that in a year. No, it it takes time. It takes a process. So uh, for me, you know, with what I had and the resources I had available, absolutely. I did the best I could. Very good. And then how soon uh, after you come down from Russia, do you start not, not just start training, but mentally, how soon are you like, let's get going for 2018 or whatever's going to happen next. That's what we're going to do. I know when I like when I love mountaineering and climbing and when I'm climbing a mountain or on the way up, I always feel like, why am I doing this? This is so hard. I hate this right now, (laughs) but it's usually somewhere on the descent. I'm about two thirds of the way down. And then I'm already planning my next peak. I'm already planning on like, what do I want to do again? I got to get back into this, even though it hurts. It, if do you relate to that kind of experience and at what point are you already planning your next shot at the games? Uh, plane ride home. Um, I, plane ride yep, home. I kind, yep. I kind of let, let until, you know, we had closing ceremonies, enjoyed our, the rest of my time there after competition, but yeah, plane ride home. I was already like, okay, you know, we have nationals coming up, you know, at the end of the month. So a few more weeks to prepare for that. And then, you know, hit the summer and we're right back at it. We got to get back to the gym, back to training, back to, you know, the drawing board and see what we can fix for the next time around. And every time you, you go, you, do you need to um, like, so you've been before now at this point, do you need to go back through the same qualifying process? Like I know a lot of the qualifying is competing at national and international games or the Pan Americans. And then when you qualify there, you're going to go qualify to train 
or not train, so you're going to qualify to compete and qualify to make the team. Is it the exact same thing every single time if you want to go, like say every four years? Or if you've been in three times before, you two times before, is there anything that you can get a buy on? Or is it the same no matter what? So every sport's a little different on their qualifying. Some have those specific qualifiers. Others, it's based solely on rankings. Sometimes you have a combination of both. For us in our alpine skiing, it's strictly on your rankings uh, internationally and domestically. So, you know, it doesn't matter what events you go to, you know, if you go over to Europe and do all your stuff, if you're in the World Cup circuit, the domestic circuit, you have to hit a certain you know, point rating to be eligible. And then from there, they take the top ranked US athletes. So uh, you know, for us, there's no buy, there's no easy walk, but if you know, you're consistently doing well, then it, it puts you in a good spot. It's best of two, uh, and those rankings go 18 months out from the games. So we have 18 months to get that ranking. Is there a strategy to which uh, competitions you'll want to get those rankings from? Like, you know, you say, okay, you got to stay away from Sweden or you got to go to to Argentina. That's the, that's the games that maybe is easier or harder, any strategy, or you just do whatever you can qualify for and do your very best. Uh, I, I mean, you, you can always kind of look at events at races and kind of see, you know, where everyone's going. Sometimes you do try to go to, you know, World cup or a race that, you know, not as many of the top, you know, international athletes will be there. So it gives you an easier chance, but honestly, you kind of just go, you, you, you do as many events as you can or whatever you build with your schedule. And you just, you know, try to throw down a good run each time. I mean, you know, really, I, I try not to overthink it. Some people do for me, I find simplicity is the best, you know, just want to go out. I want to make sure every event, every time I'm skiing, I'm making the most of it and I'm giving it my best effort. Wow. So, so, Real quick too, uh, let's, uh, I want to, I forgot to ask you about the, the bowls when you're skiing in Colorado, are you in the, the major kind of seven bowl area West of Denver? Are you in the Vale Beaver Creek, uh, uh, all of that area, or are you somewhere else? And then second, if you have skied over there, what's your favorite bowl to ski? So, uh, most of my training takes place in winter park. Uh, that's where kind of my race training happens. Uh, we do get to travel, get to, you know, go to different resorts, but it's not too often. We get a lot of time to free ski. So I don't get to hit the balls as much as I'd like as, as hard as that is to say, but, um, you know, I've done all of winter park, all of the different areas, the back area, you know, our, what we have our shoots and stuff. I love steamboat. That is probably my favorite spot to free ski, uh, the shoots there, their, their back areas. Um, I've skied a bit of Vail. I've done some of the bowls there. I just don't get to Vail as much, but, uh, I'd say steamboat is probably my favorite and I've skied a lot of Breckenridge as well. I do. I, I love me some Breckenridge. Um, Beaver Creek's fun too. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, the bowls are good. The bowls are good. <laughs> <Do> you, <laughs> you, you're making this now really, um, more of a full-time career. And I, I want to take a, a segue for everyone to make sure we know, you know, when you're training to go to the Olympic or Paralympic games, it is a full-time job an absolutely full-time job. And it's no different for Tyler. Um, so one of the things that we love to do, and if you, if you feel that it's important for, you know, whether it's for the country, it's for you, it's for the individual athletes. It is like, it's a dream, man. It's a dream to be able to go and represent your country at the Olympic or Paralympic games. And it's a huge deal. So if you want to help guys like Tyler and specifically Tyler, uh, to get to the games and to continue on, 
Um, most athletes do not have a full-time job because with a training schedule, you don't have time for a full-time job. So one of the things we can do is actually donate and help to support uh, the Olympic and Paralympic journey. Tyler has a really cool about him page. You can check this out. It's at TC Ski. That's for Tyler Carter Ski. So T like Tyler, C like Carter, ski.com. Those five letters. If you head over to tcski.com, you can find out and get all of Tyler's story, find out what the next goals are. And if you want to help him get there and be one of the, one of the people standing behind him, standing uh, for him in his corner to get to the next games, any donation amounts are appreciated. And, you know, I, I'm first in line, Tyler. I, I, I love what you're doing. And I want to see our country crush it in every game. And I want to see, you know, young athletes like you be able to really follow your dream. I'm 40 years old at this point as we talk, and I'm not young, I'm not old, but I'm in a place where I'm probably not going to qualify uh, for the next year's Olympics, but I can help Tyler get there. And that's what I want to do. So follow Tyler on Instagram at TC Ski USA and on Twitter at TC Ski 2014. Uh, I can tell you when <laughs> you set that one up for <laughs> Russia, uh, TC Ski 2014 on Twitter. But the big one is Instagram, TC Ski USA, and then go to tcski.com and support him on your journey. What are you, what do you need the most? Can you talk a little bit about um, qualifying again, I know there's, there's cost to these competitions. It's not just, Hey, pay so I can eat and pay so I can live somewhere, et cetera. There's a, a big cost for entering into these competitions. Is that accurate? Yes. Uh, yeah. Not only do we have, um, entry fees that can be, you know, hundreds of dollars or, or more than that, depending where we go, Europe, it's a bit more expensive, but we have to pay for our, our flights there, uh, our lodging. Uh, we're carrying, you know, two or three 70 plus pound bags with us full of skis. Cause I got to make sure I have all the best equipment plus, you know, buying those skis. It, it, it really adds up. Uh, and for me, you know, just like a, a really short, you know, kind of side note is that, uh, the last few years I've been battling injuries and, uh, last season was a rough year for me. I pretty much had to sit the entire season out. And because of that, my ranking dropped or, or raised it. It got much worse than what it was. And I lost all my funding. So I, I currently have no funding right now. I am very much, you know, an independent guy working his way back to be in that funding. Uh, I'm working, you know, 20 to 40 hours a week depending on the week, uh, at the training center, giving tours. So, uh, you know, I think that was one of your first experiences, right, Matt, right at the training center with Cole kind of showing you around, uh, introducing you to everything. Yeah. And then, and we walked over and we, and we watched some, some big groups are going on tours at the training center. So we're going behind the scenes there. And so you're, you'd be one of the guys that you're going to take, uh, schools or groups or companies through and show them what this is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And I love it. For me, it's more than a job. You know, I, it's a way to share my experience and interact with people. But at the end of the day, I do need that, that paycheck as well. Uh, so right now with, you know, with the past few months, how, you know, everything kind of got uh, shut down, hit hard from this, you know, a lot of people are getting back on their feet, but the athletes, you know, we're still, you know, struggling. And that was a lot of training, a lot of competitions that were canceled or postponed and a lot of work that we kind of lost out on. So we're all still trying to recover from that and get back on our feet. So for us, you know, we're, we still have these dreams. We still have these goals of, you know, going and representing our amazing country, but we, we can't do it alone. It's just, it's not possible. 
I appreciate you saying that. So again, head over to tcski.com and you can hear Tyler's story. You can read about that. And then if you feel so inclined to support Tyler getting back in, and it is, it's such a, an interesting, like a spiral up or a spiral down potentially. You know, if you, if you drop in the rankings a bit, all of a sudden, oh, sponsorships and different, you know, sources of funds dry up and then you got to make your way back in. And then once you get up in the rankings again, which takes money to do so and training, then all of a sudden there's more funding available. And, uh, that's, you know, that's how the world works. Hey, Tyler, pivoting here, who's your favorite Marvel Avenger? <laughs> Marvel Avenger, Captain America, 100%. Is it? Is it? <laughs> I could tell. I was looking at your Instagram. At, again, TC Ski USA. You got to follow him on here. It's so cool. You got this full-on Captain America uh, ski outfit as you're, as you're hitting uh, the slopes. I love that. But I also saw um, you got, and I have the same thing, actually, because I've been uh, I've been doing a leadership segment on television lately called the five superhero traits every leader should avoid. So talking about funny things like that. And then I have another segment called lead like a villain. So I got that same Thanos glove. So you got a Captain America shirt, Thanos glove. Um, <laughs> this looks like a legit glove too. This like the fingers move and everything. Where'd you find that? Uh, it was a gift from a friend. Uh, really grateful to this person. We actually went to uh, Disney uh, in California. So we went over there. Uh, they had a, a sporting event. Uh, they're on the paratriathlon team. And uh, so I went to uh, after their race, we had a day in Disney and we walked around the park, checked it all out. And then we happened to, you know, end up in the Marvel store and it was there and you know, he surprised me with it as a, as a late birthday present. So it, it's uh you know, as authentic as I could possibly get, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, not getting the movie prop version, but it is uh, one of my treasures. And I am a huge Marvel fan, specifically Captain America. That's also kind of a neat game of mine, uh, Cap, uh, partly because I was the team captain of our club uh, ski team, but just because uh, I talk about him so much that it, it annoys people. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I could possibly imagine that. Yeah, it's cool. You get this really funny picture too. You guys got to check this out. Uh, he's got a picture over uh, in front of the IHOP and you got to guess what he's doing. But he, you also have a, uh, you got a Captain America emblem right on your, on your new shin, on your new leg. Um, so that's, it's just fun to see. Like I love, I love you're serious on training and yet you don't take yourself too seriously and you're having fun and you're joking and you just have a dang good attitude. I really appreciate that about you, man. Uh, I wish I had a guy like you to train with me all the time. I'd probably get out of bed a little bit more often. Any, anytime you want to come work out, I make these really crazy circuits. Uh, I'm kind of known for that around the training center as uh, setting up like Bozu balls and hurdles and, you know, any exercise equipment I can find in the gym or that people aren't using, I take and set it up. And, uh, it, you know, it's fun for me, you know, training is serious. It's, I kind of talk about it as being, you know, my, my war zone, my battle, but, uh, you still have to find the enjoyment, find the, the joy in what you do, because if you're not enjoying or having fun, then what's the point. And for me, you know, even on the worst training days, the days that, you know, beat you up mentally, physically, uh, I think you can always take something away from it and, uh, life could always be a, a lot worse. So for me, you know, I, I remember that I keep that in mind and, uh, uh, always have a smile on my face. So, and, and you are a super positive guy. What gets you down? If anything, these days, what do you have any, anything that you face, uh, a demon you face, something that you have to kind of be aware of and vigilant, uh, vigilant, vigilant to guard against of like a lot of us have something that's like, you know, if you're not careful, it could, 
it could take a foothold in your life. Do you have something like that that you're vigilant to guard yourself against? And if so, how do you approach that? And how do you stay uh, clean and clear from, from some of those, the, a challenge? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of my hardest things is I, I love interacting with people and I love saying yes. So I love doing, you know, as many, as many things that I can to help someone. And sometimes I overextend myself a little bit. So I really, you know, put a lot of energy out in the world, but sometimes I forget to kind of bring some into myself or, or keep some in there for me. So that that's my biggest thing. It's one of my strengths, but also one of my weaknesses. And I think that's, you know, when you have a strength that is both, you know, a positive and a negative, I think, I mean, this is just me talking, but I think that's a good thing or you can make it a good thing. So for me, you know, it's what gives me power, but if I'm not careful, then, then it starts draining me. So I'm just making sure that I control myself, limit how much I'm engaging in, you know, making sure that I take some time for myself. As long as I do that, I'm good to go. Would you consider yourself an extrovert? I, it's funny because most people look at me and they think I'm an extrovert and on the, on the outside, absolutely, though I do love my personal time. Uh, so I, you know, I like to say I'm an extroverted introvert. I don't even know if that's a thing, uh, but, but I, that's what I call myself. So um, most days, you know, you'll see me out there interacting with everyone, smiling, having a good time. But um, I do need to have, you know, uh, some time, you know, where I'm just in my room, just myself alone, no one else, you know, maybe I'm watching Netflix or reading a good book, but just having that time to get away from everyone. <laughs> Look, man, everybody needs that. Uh, and studying this, like, I think the biggest question about introvert extrovert, and just to set the record straight for anyone who's struggling with that themselves, is you can love people and love being around people and be an introvert or an extrovert. But the question is like, how do you recharge your batteries? So like, if you had a long day, and you're like, man, I am pooped. Would you want to like chill by yourself, watch TV, read a book? Or would you be like, you know, it would be so great just to hang with some friends, to go out and do something. I think it, a, lot of, a lot of it comes to that recharging your battery question. How do you recharge your battery after a long day or week of uh, training? Uh, honestly, it's, it's by myself, uh, really at the end of the day, it's, it's by myself. Now I, I love being social. I love, um, you know, interacting with my friends, the training center in Colorado Springs is such a communal thing. We have big, you know, kind of team, what we call family dinners where we all get together and, you know, just sit around the table for hours. But after that, I need to go home. I need to be alone. So yeah, I, I would say I'm an introvert, but most people, when they, when they see me, they're like, you're such an extrovert. I'm like, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, what you really mean to say is I really love people and I love being around people. But after a day of being around people, I'm a little tired and <laughs> like, that's cool. <laughs> and you still love them. Very good. Um, last couple of questions and I'll let you get back to, uh, to what you're doing and back to your family and everything. Um, I'm excited. I'm hoping, uh, I know we haven't talked about this yet, but we're doing a leadership event coming up soon next year. Uh, hosted at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. I'm going to put an invite to you. And if it works in your schedule, we would love to have you come as a speaker. Would you be open to something like that? I would absolutely love to do that. Uh, it's right up my alley. And I, you're, you're an awesome guy. And I love your content. So 100% would be in for that. And it, don't don't feel bad. Don't be mad at me, everyone right now. Like I didn't really put him on the spot. I kind of knew he was going to say yes. It's all good. Uh, but that's going to be a fun event. And you know, I want to have a, a ton of again, Olympians, Paralympians and hopefuls. And part of it is like, like, you can also, by the way, like, 
Tyler Carter, you could hire him to speak at an event. And that's something I know you could do, right? You can share your story, share the inspirational message about hope and motivation and speak about uh, several different topics. But you know, a lot of these guys and girls that are out training, like they can't train right now. So whether it's a virtual event or a live event, I'm just going to plug him for him, even though he didn't tell me he wants this. But you know, if you have a virtual event, if you're doing something for your company, if you're doing you know, a, a seminar or something, I do a lot of those on Zoom and uh, conferences, you could, you know, reach out to Tyler, go over to the Instagram, send him, uh, send him a message. And you could absolutely hire him as a, as a speaker or as someone to come in and contribute and share on determination, overcoming obstacles. Um, could you speak to that for a second? Am I just putting words in your mouth? We can edit this out if this is terrible, but otherwise, uh, is that something that you would be down for? And what would you speak about if you were going to be, you know, talking to a group? Yeah, for sure. Um, I love it. I love public speaking, motivational speaking. Uh, oh, thank goodness. We yeah. don't have to edit this. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, it, it's funny because I was just having a conversation with my, my family uh, the other day. And we were talking about my first ever speaking engagement, which was right after the Sochi Games, so 2014. And I'm like, man, I was terrible then. And they're like, you weren't that bad. I was like, all right, I was okay. But like from then to now, it, it's been a game changer. And for me, there's so many different things I can talk about. I really try to tailor it to whatever group or whatever message that you know you, they you have that you need me to talk about. But yeah, obviously I can make it motivational. I can make it about persevering. I can make it about living healthy, active lifestyles because that's a, a real big, uh, important point of my life. You know, I, I talk with schools and students all the time. That's you know gets me going in the in the day. Uh, but really, anything you need. I have, you know, in my short 26 years on this planet, though they do feel a lot longer than that, <laughs> I have uh, been able to experience a lot of cool things and a lot of, you know, ups and downs. And I, I feel I can bring a really good message for whatever your needs are. That is so uh, friggin' cool. So as, as, uh, as, as we finish up last couple questions, number one, um, two-time Paralympic games competitor, um, is there a number three? I, I hope so. It, it is uh, the plan. I am in training for it. I am still working my, my bum off to, you know, prepare and uh, hopefully Beijing will be the third and the, you know, one where we, we make it on the podium. That, that's the goal. <laughs> and what's the plan right now? Is it, cause I know like Tokyo 2020 uh, for the games coming up got postponed or moved to summertime 2021, but they're still calling it Tokyo 2020 is the Olympic and Paralympic committees plan to just kind of bump the dates, but then keep the same schedule going forward, you know, every two years like they do, or is everything going, do you, do you have any insight on that? As, as far as I've heard um, and I'm not like, you know, right, right next to the people making the decision, but they, they say it's business as usual. Yeah. The games got bumped a year, but everything else is still on track. I mean, that's just what I've been told. It doesn't mean that's true or not, but I, I, I would expect that to be the case. I, I think it'd give them enough time to make sure everything, you know, is turned over properly. And, you know, you're going, it's, you know, summer to winter and, you know, different locations. So it shouldn't have too much impact. Um, but, you know, it, we'll see how things go. But, I, you know, as far as I've heard, this is as usual. Very cool. Um, and, you know, I always end with the same sort of question. Maybe you've even heard this in some, on some interviews. But I usually ask, if you could change anything in your life, what would you change? Or would you leave it all the same? And I don't know if this is fair or not, but I'm very curious, genuinely, is the answer. If you could go back and somehow not have to go through what you did at one and be born with a normal bone structure 
do you, if that was possible, do you think you would, you would do that or based on what you've experienced, would you leave it how it is? You know, uh, that is an excellent question. And the, the short answer is absolutely not. I wouldn't change, uh, you know, how my leg is really anything about my life. Uh, for me, you know, it's been a blessing has led to some crazy opportunities, both for myself, but also to help others. And I think that's really at the end of the day, the important thing. I have no idea what I'd be doing if I wasn't, you know, an adaptive athlete, if I wasn't missing my leg. Uh, but I, you know, how things have turned out, I think it's, it's been a, a pretty cool journey with still a lot of uh, pages to write. So uh, no, absolutely not. Man, I can't wait to read those pages, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for the time, Tyler. Tyler Carter, everyone. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, everyone. All right, man, that's the interview for this week. So again, I, I'm so inspired by this guy. He's a young man who's just going after it. And remember, you can follow Tyler on his uh, Paralympic journey, um, going after the third Paralympics in Beijing coming up. And you can follow him on Instagram at TCS, uh, oh, sorry, TC Ski USA. TC Ski USA on Instagram. And then make sure you go over to tcski.com and you'll hear and read a little more of his story and some of the background that we didn't even get into yet. And if you want to support Tyler Carter on his Paralympic journey, go to tcski.com and you can support any donation helps. It costs money to get the equipment. He has to buy the equipment, pick up uh, uh, competition entry fees, uh, plane flights over, all that stuff is there. And if they're working full-time in training season, they can't train to the level that, the, that these athletes need to be at uh, to compete at the highest level. So tcski.com is the website. Um, support Tyler Carter. Hey, that's it for me again. I'm Matt Browning. This is The Driven Entrepreneur. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook at Matt Browning, B-R-A-U-N-I-N-G. I always do uh, episode recordings live very often. If you go check out the Facebook and the Instagram, we just did one a little bit ago. So keep on going and stay driven or undriven or relax or get peace or go after your goal. I don't know what you need to do this weekend, but whatever you do, go do it and take care of yourself. I'll see you next week with another Driven Entrepreneur. All right. Bye-bye. You can go ahead.